Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and today we have a guest joining us from the West Coast of the United States, Brett Swartz, who is the CEO of Capital Gains Tax Solutions. Uh, every year, he's equipping business professionals with deferred sales trust tools and helping high net worth clients and others make real estate transactions that can be tax deferred. We're going to talk a lot about 1031s. We're going to talk a lot about alternatives to 1031s, and we're going to talk about taxes in general. Brett, welcome to the show. Eric, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Before we dive in to what I know is a, a median uh, and potentially complicated subject, uh, let's let's get a little bit of your background. Tell us a, a little bit of how you wound up doing what you're doing and, and, and where you've been professionally the last uh, decade or so. Great question. Yeah. So I originally started a company called Marcus and Millichap, helping people sell um, multifamily properties here in Northern California. And I actually grew up in the Bay Area originally and kind of learned the the business entrepreneurial side and the ownership of real estate at a young age and kind of fell in love with real estate and and really kind of sought after after that uh, at, at when I graduated from college. And so I started at this company and we started to learn about, you know, strategies such as the 1031 exchange and ways to help folks create and preserve more wealth through tax deferral. And, and it's about that time something happened, which was the 2008 crash. And that really kind of woke me up and my friends, family and clients to just how um, limited some tax deferral strategies such as the 1031 exchange are. And, and a lot of people got hurt and some lost everything and, and, and lo- most lost at least something. And, and the biggest thing was they had too much debt and they felt trapped to have to overpay via the 1031 exchange. And so I was kind of just new to the business in a sense and, and still kind of green. I was just, just kind of getting started and I was also married and had a, had a daughter at home and, and was looking for ways to support the family and, and make the business work. And transactions kind of fell off a cliff and the, and the kind of world got turned upside down financially. And so I was looking for ways to add value. And at just that point, uh, my manager brought in a gentleman to speak on the strategy called a deferred sales trust. And that gentleman's now my business partner. And that set me out on a journey to help all of my friends, family, and clients never have to face what they face in 08 ever again and really escape the feeling of and, and uh, being trapped by capital gains tax. And so the plan was this, how do I educate and how do I equip my clients with the strategy? And so that's where I first started out. And that was about, that was about 10 years ago. And so over the years, I, I would do that and, and, and slowly started to learn more about how to actually execute this, this strategy. And, and then fast forward, it got to the point where it, it was growing so much that I needed to, uh, felt compelled to help business professionals, financial advisors, and other commercial real estate brokers like myself go out and, and have this strategy to help with their clients. And so um, that's when we launched Capital Gains Tax Solutions and sort of uh, life's never been the same since, you know, I'll be able to support my wife. And, and now we have five kids here in, in Sacramento, California, and really we think make a difference because there's such a big, big need which we can we can jump into um, some of the demographics if you'd like to as well. Sure, um, it, this is this is particularly interesting to me because not only do we uh, work with folks who have real estate as a component of their wealth building and their uh, their journey to financial independence, um, but a lot of those folks really don't have 
uh, access to what I'll call sophisticated strategies around real estate. So this is uh, the the timing is also fascinating, I think, because uh, 0809 taught us a whole lot about how real estate values don't always go up. Uh, and as, as we sit here in, in early 2020, um, we may be potentially looking at a similar situation, particularly on the commercial side coming up. Um, how do you anticipate that that's going to impact your business? Any of the strategies you're using? Is this about to become more mainstream? Um, I, I just asked you about 10 questions at once. So I'll, I'll, I'll open it up to talk about where sort of where the ball's going or where, where Wayne Gretzky used to say where the puck is going. Um, What's next? And is this going to wind up being a hot topic in the next couple of years, in your opinion? Absolutely. So let's just start with kind of a big picture before Corona, and then we'll, we'll, do, we'll do after Corona crisis here. So um, according to the American Bankers Association, there's about 17 to $20 trillion that'll pass from one generation to the next in the next 20 years. And this is known as the largest wealth transfer in the history of the planet that we know of. And this is by the baby boomers. And in fact, there's about 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every single day in the U.S. and about 77 million in the U.S. alone. And it's a staggering amount of wealth that's going to be transferring. And they're faced with the toilets, trash, and liability of owning businesses, of owning you know commercial real estate, of having high-end primary homes, and, and different assets. And they're saying, how do we pass it to the next generation without getting absolutely hammered? And, and the number we use is somewhere between 30 and 50% of in capital gains tax and depreciation recapture, depending on the state they live in and depending on the asset in which they own. And how do they pass it to the next generation um, in, a, in, a, in a wealth efficient way without giving, you know, close, you know, 30 to 50% away to the government. And so they're also facing, um, you know, wanting more time and energy, right, to spend with their friends, family and, and things that they want to do. They've made their wealth, right? It's been 20, 30, 40 years of wealth building. And they're more in a preservation mode rather than a wealth creation mode. And, and that's the shift that's happening right now. And, and the question is, how do we help them? And I say collectively, you know, um, as educators and as, as business professionals, defer that capital gains tax and, ex- and escape all of that so that they can create and preserve more wealth and also so that they can give more to things that mean most to them. So that's kind of the big picture before Corona. It's already, we call it the silver tsunami that's already going on. But connecting that to 2008, you know, a lot of the baby boomers, again, some of them still almost lost everything or were faced with some real challenges. And so we're seeing the same things with Corona. And the biggest thing has to do with debt. Debt is not your friend in a highly appreciated overpriced marketplace where um, where things can shift rapidly, which, which are happening right now. Um, and that's what happened in 08. People overpaid for properties via 1031 exchanges because they felt they had to because it's, it's some of the rules um, create um, in one particular says equal or greater value, which often means equal or greater debt. And so the, the, the secret or the idea here is how do you get out of debt? and also stay tax deferred? And then also how do you diversify and enter the deferred sales trust? This is where it can really solve that. We'll get that into to in a minute. So let me answer your question really though. So Corona here, I think it's, I think it's similar to 08, um, but also it's, 
it's different, right? So there's certain things where I think some folks are saying it could be it could be a deep recession really fast and then come back, right? But at the same time, it's worldwide now, as which 08 was too, but it's so many different sectors of our society as a whole, and it's things that are changing our mindset of things that were in our control. At least with the 2008 crisis, we were able to you know focus financially on on bailing out, let's say, the banks and and, and making a financial stimulus that could change things. This here feels completely different because it's health related and therefore it, you can't just throw money at it, right? I mean, we're dealing with whole industries that have shut down and, and, and jobs that are going to be forever lost. And if anything, it's just accelerating the automation of the world that we've been seeing already with technology kind of taking over a lot of jobs. And so it remains to be seen exactly how this shakes out. But what I can tell you is Yes, we are. We are very uh, nervous, um, to say the least. We are um, cautious um, about the the future, and and it's it's forever going to change. I think how people uh, approach um, creating and preserving more wealth. Now, now, when we talk about commercial real estate, there are lots of different types, uh, lots of different sectors. You know, the the commercial real estate that seems to be. On the up, uh, on the upswing is the industrial space, the warehousing space, the distribution centers, things that that help um, take the supply chain and then and then get it out to the the end user, the consumer. Those areas seem to be ones that are that are uh, exciting. Um, multi-tenant housing is something that I think is going to be interesting. Millennials were just starting to buy houses, and now it's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do from from that standpoint. But while those are residences. For the buyer, they are commercial for the, the owner of the building or the complex or what have you. Um, I wonder if, if we're going to see another real almost death knell to, to retail. Um, and I also wonder if the ability to telework is going to impact the value or the necessity for traditional office space. Because, I, you know, closing, when companies close, naturally there are vacancies, vacancy rates go up, and that impacts the, the investment quality and the cap rates and so forth. But you couple that with the fact that even businesses that don't close might be choosing to have less space because of the ability to telework, that feels like a tsunami too. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you, right? I mean, you got to look at supply and demand, and you, you have to look at what companies will now be forced to do, which is actually have a contingency plan uh, should something like this ever happen again. And I think it's, it's only going to accelerate businesses becoming more technologi- technologically savvy and, and working from home and and let need less office space. It's sort of like, you know, where you know, the automation of cars are going and, and how businesses and, and real estate has already adjusted to the number of parking spaces and cities have adjusted to the number of parking spaces they require per square foot for, for, for you know, uh, retail developments. So it was already happening. And this, I think, just kind of fuels the fire uh, of change. And so, yes, I could see office space becoming um, less and less um, um, in demand. And I can, of course, retail. Amazon is in Walmart and, and you know, they, they've kind of taken over a lot of things online. And that's already been happening. So, of course, there's always the services, you know, that are going to be needed. And there's always going to be the, the, the lifestyle and the places people want to visit that I think will never, never change for the retail part of things. But, but certainly um, other parts of retail are also going to be, be hit here as well. So, so let's dive into this strategy, this um, deferred sales trust. 
Um, what is it? How does it work? Um, let's go through sort of the FAQs and, and, and dive in. Absolutely. So our premise is this, uh, most high net worth, especially baby boomers, you know, they struggle with capital gains tax when they go to sell their high end primary home business, commercial real estate, or other highly appreciated asset somewhere between 30 and 50% of their game. Well, we use a deferred sales trust to help them gain tax deferral, freedom, flexibility, liquidity, diversification, pay off all their debt, never have to feel trapped by a 1031 exchange ever again, all so they so that they can create and preserve more wealth. And that's a whole lot. And let's try to unpack that a little bit. So we talked about kind of the silver tsunami that's going on. The other stat about the, according to the American Bankers Association, is that about 50% of the nation's net worth is tied to commercial real estate, high-end primary homes, and private equity, which is also known as businesses. And these business owners are reluctant to sell because of all the capital gains tax. But every single day, these high net worth individuals are paying hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in capital gains tax when they don't have to. And they want or need liquidity and diversification. They don't want to be stuck in debt. They don't want to be stuck in the toilets and the trash and the liability. And so they're looking for a way out. And so the deferred sales trust is truly an elegant tax deferral strategy that provides them that way out. And so some of the questions for the listeners might be, are you selling a high-end primary home? And that 121 exclusion, which is if you've lived somewhere to the last five years, you get a $250,000 tax-free or 500,000 if you're married, 250 if you're single exemption. But is that not enough to offset your capital gains tax? And I'll give you a, a real life deal that just closed just a, about a month ago. It's a, it's for a single individual. She was living uh, near Apple headquarters. Um, in fact, she she lived there uh, years and years and years before Apple came in and, and established residency in Cupertino, California. And so she saw a rapid appreciation of her house. So she sold her house for three point one million. But now her kids are gone, and and that asset has some debt on it, and. And she's looking to sell it, but she's faced with about over about four hundred thousand dollars in capital gains tax above and beyond her one twenty one exclusion. And guess what? A primary homeowner, um, they're not they don't qualify for the ten thirty one exchange. In fact, ten thirty one exchange only qualifies for investment property. They uh, the recent tax changes a couple of years ago have have made it very restrictive. Maybe it's basically just investment property. And so she's faced with this big house. She wants to sell. And she, it's it's a you know a house to us if you you know follow rich dad poor dad is a liability. It's not an asset and it's not cash flow producing. And so she's looking to retire, but she doesn't want to take on any more debt on the house. And so enter the deferred sales trust. It's really the perfect solution to her problems. She's able to sell the house, defer that four hundred thousand dollars in tax, pay off all of her debt, and then put though that equity into cash flowing um, producing income producing assets. And so she did just that and and. She She's very happy. And the second uh, person who might be feeling pressured and, and trapped and forced to make quick decisions are those who are in a, a, a 1031 exchange and are selling commercial real estate. And that's really where my journey began. And, 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 and again, back to the 0506, people were overpaying and then all of a sudden 08 hit and they got stuck with the debt and which leads into the to the first part of the 1031 which is a big big challenge is the we call it the sell high buy higher 180 days later and our parents taught us Eric to sell high and, and buy low 
not sell high and, and then buy higher 180 days later with more debt. And that's what the 1031 too often forces uh, too many individuals who own commercial real estate to do. Um, and that's because of the rule of equal or greater value, which often means equal or greater debt. And that's because of the other rule. You need to buy within 180 days and you need to identify those potential properties within 45 days. And so it creates this frenzy and this, and this, and this, and this feeling of pressure and, and feeling of, of rushing and, and, and having to make quick decisions and oftentimes overpaying and making poor decisions. So that's the, that's sort of the 1031. So the intent is to actually, you know, have, um, freedom, meaning having options and having what I call optimal timing and enter the deferred sales trust. What's unique about the deferred sales trust is a, it's not a 1031 exchange, but B, it is a tax deferral strategy. And so what you can do is you can sell high and, and then put the money into the trust, pay off all of your debt, and then buy whenever you want. And I'll give you a live deal that just closed actually on Friday. A gentleman sold a $7.6 million property in Georgia, and it was a multifamily property. And he has spent his entire life buying and selling hundreds of properties in via 1031 exchanges. And for the first time in his adult life, he is using the deferred sales trust. And I asked him why. And he goes, well, I didn't want to overpay for a property right now. I thought the marketplace was highly appreciated. I didn't want to take on all this debt. He had about four and a half million dollars of debt um, that he got a chance to retire with the deferred sales trust. So now he's debt free. He also said, I wanted liquidity. You know, I wanted the opportunity to cash out should I want to and, and, and just live off the wealth and pay the tax if I did and and or just just put it into um, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, which is the second advantage of the deferred sales trust. We don't have to put it into like kind real estate in that short period of time. You can actually diversify into multiple asset classes such as stocks, bonds, mutual funds, insurance products. You can also put it back into investment real estate of your own or with partners. You can go into hard money lending, which is actually what he plans to do with a portion of it. And so the flexibility there to diversify really reduces the risk and being out of the debt really reduces the risk. And so that's what he's doing. And he kind of caught the kind of caught the perfect storm in that he sold very high before Corona and and then Corona hit and his money was sitting at the qualified intermediary. And then he was able to just put it into the deferred sales trust. So he's going to buy some of these stocks at a very low price. So that's the second one. And the next one, which I think is the most overlooked is the business owner. And they are the dentist. They are the veterinarian. They're the optometrist. They are the car dealership. They own a real estate company. They, they really are focused on a business. And as you may or may not know, most businesses, I've never seen one do actually do a 1031 exchange because most folks are just looking to retire when they sell their business. Um, so it's um, very difficult. So the deferred sales trust is the solution for that. It's actually our number, number one um, group that we work with our business owners that are selling. And so we've done veterinarians, we've done optometrists, we've done car dealerships. And so when they sell, they can defer all the capital gains tax pay off all their debt. And then the best part is they can use those funds to invest into investment real estate if they want to, or again, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. It's really their choice. Um, we're just here to kind of, uh, to really uh, walk them through this, to guide them and to, to help them achieve what they're looking to achieve. So I'll pause there because I know I said a whole lot. You did. And I, I've got about 46 follow-up questions for you. And, and I'm going to pick sort of my favorite two or three, I think. Um, first and foremost, um, is the deferred sales trust, does it have a separate tax ID? Is it a taxable entity or is it in the social security number or the tax ID of the business that, that owned the original property? 
Great question. So it's a brand new EIN and it's a single entity. Uh, it's a particular business trust that only does business with the seller who becomes the note holder. So it, it's, the funds are never commingled. By the way, the funds can only ever move with that note holder's signature. And it's in a deferral state until and if they receive the funds. It's based upon a IRSC section 453, which is the tax code for, and it's also known as a seller carry back, which by the way, goes back to the 1920s. We've had, we've done thousands of closes over the 24 year track record and survived 14 IRS audits. And so, but the biggest thing is protection, right? We want to make sure that this entity and it only ever does business with the single, single person. And then also protection with the money and protection with, um, the, the actual legal part about it. So, um, it, you, you gave an example of um, the gentleman in Georgia who's going to diversify within his trust. Um, how are the assets in the trust taxed so long as they stay in the trust? Is that fully deferred if, if no distributions are made? Are there required distributions of any kind? Great question. So IRC 453, which is just at an installment sale, basically states that as long as you haven't received the funds, they're not taxable. It's known as it's known as a constructive or actual receipt. And so just to walk you quickly through it, Eric, let's imagine, you know, you sold a $10 million property. Let's say there's a zero basis on it and you owed, let's say 4 million in tax if you were to sell. Well, instead of paying that, you know, that money, you put all 10 million into the trust and now it's, you know, the smoke cleared is all, de it's all deferred. Now you'll pay a little bit of fees to us and, and the financial advisor, but now you start receiving distributions. Okay. And the, and let's say the, the trust is most of our trust earn about six and a half percent after fees and you're receiving that distribution on that. Now you'll pay ordinary income tax on that distribution. Which, by the way, is is why the actual government does this. They they make these legal tax loopholes. It's a study of macroeconomics to actually spur the economy. So what they want is Eric not to take the money and put six million under his mattress. They want ten million in the in in the economy, meaning in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, in investment, real estate, in the new business that Eric's starting of his own or with someone else. They want they want to spur economic growth, which actually spurs more job growth, which spurs actually more tax revenue. So this is why this is why it's a win-win for everybody here. So that being said, uh, you're receiving ordinary income uh, off the interest. And now if you dip into principal, which which you can at any point, um, you'll pay capital gains tax in proportion to what you received in that given year based upon the capital gains tax rate in that given year. Got it. So, so this allows, without mandatory distributions, this allows some gaming in terms of when you recognize uh, and various taxes, when you realize them and recognize them on your returns. Um, Correct. Which sounds call it tax engineering. Now, yeah. Well, mm -hmm. let me let me let me throw because I, I'm a firm believer in tax diversification. I think it's real important to have some capital gains property, some ordinary income property, some maybe tax free funds or, or income tax free money. Um, and I'm, I'm curious as heck about how some of this would would play into that. Um, if if you're in a situation where, like we are in now where property values are high, it feels like an awfully good time to sell. Um but capital gains rates and ordinary income tax rates right now are the lowest they've been in modern history. So with the specter of paying for this $2.2 trillion stimulus package and whatever comes afterwards, I have to believe that income taxes particularly and likely capital gains taxes are going to be higher in the next decade than they have been pretty much regardless of which party takes Congress or the White House or any of that. 
uh, just because we're going to have these bills to pay, are we setting ourselves up for um, deferring taxes at a time where they're relatively low in exchange for potentially growing the money and paying a, a higher tax rate later? That's sort of the 401k example where you defer it in a low income tax bracket and then you pay taxes on it in a higher income tax bracket. That's sort of the, the flea on the dog of the 401k. Do you see that as a legitimate risk here or are there other ways to game it? It all depends, Eric, and it's a great question. And we just use math to answer the question. And we found that if you have $500,000 of proceeds from the sale and $100,000 of tax liability, that is our minimum. And tax liability, not to be confused with the gain, the gain would say would be $300,000 and 30% of that or 33% of that would be 100000 right? So we always start at that, that very bottom. We have a free calculator that folks can use to answer a few questions and figure that out. So we start there. and But our average deal is about $2.6 million, Eric, and we're deferring somewhere around four dollars to $500,000 of tax. And so we use the rule of 72 to do the mathematical equation, which states if I can earn 7% on any given amount, over a 10-year period and let that 7% compound, that amount will double. So let's use the $10 million scenario um, that we had with you, Eric, and you would have you know, paid a little bit of fees to, to us, and, and but now you have a good amount sitting there. And let's imagine you could earn 7%. You know, let's imagine you, A, didn't need or want to take that money right now. Well, guess what? That $10 million in 10 years will turn into $20 million. Okay, and then that 20, if you did that again, in 10 years, will turn into $40 million. And so our, most of our notes earn about 8% on any, any given 10-year period of time. In fact, over the thousands of closes, we've, we've never had anyone, anyone not hit that projected rate. Now, some, some, some people are a little less risk, have a little less risk, and they might be at 7 or 6. And so um, uh, you, can, you can also just keep, keep it going. You can pass, pass this on to your kids and keep deferring. So the rule of 72 is the first thing. The second thing that most of our clients who, who use this strategy, they like to pay the tax the second day to never. Okay, so meaning they're going to be living off the interest, right, and paying ordinary income tax on that. But they're going to keep the principal intact. And they do that for, for a number of reasons, right? These are highly appreciated assets, right? That, you know, millions and millions of dollars um, that... that um, that folks are, are, are faced with in tax and, and, and also um, in, in, in wealth. And so we really want them to create a, a tax deferred wealth plan to, to fund, you know, uh, charity of their choice if they want to, they don't have to. And, and then also for, for their own, for their own family. So it's really up to the, to, to the note holder. And by the way, at any point, Eric, they can, they can cash out and they can pay the tax, you know, but most folks, once they actually look at the t- tax bill, they go, why, why would I pay it? But certainly there is, I guess, an argument for that. If by the way, they, they, it, there is higher taxes in the future, right? And you did actually take the principal, then yes, that, that would be the downside to, to not just paying it today. Are you giving up um, a step up in basis at death on this capital gain? Great question. Yes, so you are giving up a stepped up basis at death. However, let me let me counter that for for with a couple things. So, the first thing is, um, and by the way, the 1031 exchange. I'm a big proponent of that because it maintains stepped up basis, which is which is which is nice. However, part of the challenge with the 1031 exchange um, has to do with and remember 1031 is only investment real estate. Okay, it it uh, it doesn't give you what's called a brand new depreciation schedule. 
So a brand new depreciation schedule is very powerful with the deferred sales trust. And let me walk you through that. So let's imagine you own that $10 million property again, Eric, and you had a zero depreciation schedule, right? You, you fully depreciate it. And by the way, multifamily, it's 27 and a half years, commercial, it's 39 years, but you may have done some accelerated depreciation and now you're, you're at zero. Well, if you just sell that property and you buy another $10 million property, guess what? You have no depreciation on that new property. But if you bought that same property through the deferred sales trust, which you could do the next day when you, when you go into the trust, you could use the funds to go buy that property. Now you have a brand new depreciation schedule. And the reason why is we're not a 1031 exchange, okay? And you just partnered with your trust to, to buy this new property. So that gives you offset. So the, the, the mathematical equation is this. If I just kept that property for the next 10, 20, 30 years, had no depreciation, is the time value of money worth it to me to, to, to just get the stepped up basis, right? Now, of course, if you have health concerns or, you know, there's, you know, death may be imminent and, and the estate may be passing, then we, 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 um, we, we turn away business and say, hey, just, just keep what you have because you're going to get the stepped up basis. So that's certainly something you want to consider. The other part of that is, you know, Congress regularly changes things. You know, they were talking about taking the 1031 exchange away a few years ago. You know, they, they're talking about limiting or, or adjusting the stepped up basis, right, to a certain amount. So who's to say in, in 5, 10, or 20 years, they don't change that rule or adjust that rule. And by the way, the same can be said for the deferred sales trust. They could change things on our end as well. But just to, to not sell it just because of that, we think sometimes that could be short-sighted. You want to just be careful and cautious of that. The other part of the stepped up basis, which is really interesting, has to do with the estate tax, okay? And so the estate tax actually has nothing to do with the stepped up basis. So for the ultra high net worth individuals out there, the deferred sales trust is a really, really powerful solution to move funds outside the taxable estate. So let's walk through that. So imagine, Eric, you're married and let's imagine you're worth 52 million. As of today, the, the, the government gives a 22 million exemption on your estate, meaning if all 52 millions inside your tax bill, say the first 22 million is exempt. However, anything remaining above that 22 million is going to be taxed at a 40% rate. And that has nothing to do with the stepped up basis. So you may be doing multiple 1031 exchanges, and this is a common misconception. People go, oh, I got the stepped up basis. I'm tax free. Yes, your capital gains tax free, but you're not a state tax free. So what they would do is tax you at 40% on that 30 million. 52 minus the 22 million. And that would be a $12 million tax, which is due within six months. Ouch, right? That really hurts. So the intent is to get the funds outside the taxable estate. The challenge is most 1031s don't do that. And second, um, most high net worth individuals, they, before they find us, they've done some FLPs some, and they've done some, some gifting to their kids, but they run out of, of exemption and they, they can't get it out fast enough. The solution is the deferred sales trust and that in one single transaction, let's just say you had a $30 million business that you sold, Eric, and you were selling. In one single transaction, we can move all of the funds outside of your taxable estate using the deferred sales trust and defer all the capital gains taxes and give you a brand new depreciation schedule should you go back into real estate or a business. So I'll pause there because I said a whole lot, but that is uh, certainly um, sort of the counter to the stepped up basis um, um, strategy. 
This, this Brett, this has been amazing, and I, and I I've definitely learned a lot from you. And there's more that that I know our listeners are going to want to will learn. We are uh, out of time, and I'd like to make sure number one that we get to our extra credit assignment for for today, uh, and number two that people know how to reach you or or how to get more information about this. So uh, if I can double up on you um, for the sake of time, what is your extra credit assignment for our audience today? That one thing, that one call to action, and then how can people get more information? From you if they want to know more. Absolutely. So the first call to action would be, or the call to action would be, do you have a backup plan for a failed 1031 exchange? And so I just want to reiterate that you can save a failed 1031 exchange here. Okay. And, and it's, it's a powerful thing, but you, you need to work with us to, to, to get all that set up and make sure you're, you're, you're in good hands. And, and that's what we're seeing a lot of right now. So establish a capital gains tax deferral wealth plan today. And just like you would establish a, a wealth plan with your financial advisor and you establish, you know, basically a, a general tax plan with your CPA, you, you need to establish a capital gains tax deferred wealth plan because it is your biggest expense if you're a high net worth individual selling a business, primary home, artwork, collectibles, anything that we just talked about. We're also doing a Bitcoin case, by the way. Um, we're doing a horse case in Kentucky too. So establish that wealth plan because it is your biggest expense and it might be your biggest transaction you've ever done and so it's it's not it's not okay not to take action today and get that in order for when you transact great advice how can people learn more about you and your company Thanks, Eric. Yes, you can go to CapitalGainsTaxSolutions.com. You can also search Capital Gains Tax Solutions on YouTube, and you can look me up, Brett Swartz, on LinkedIn. And we have a free guide, by the way, Escape Feeling Trapped by Capital Gains Tax, and also a book releasing here soon. Um, And the last thing is we have Capital Gains Tax Solutions podcast, where we bring on individuals like Eric and, and different financial advisors and different commercial real estate brokers who share different opinions and also different strategies, such as the uh, CRT, such as the Delaware Statutory Trust, such as the 1031 Exchange and Cost Segregation. And our whole goal is just to give you clarity on all of these options so that you can make the decision that's best for you and so that you can create and preserve more wealth and perhaps give more of it away to those most in need. Fantastic. Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been a great guest. Thanks, Eric. For our listeners, please subscribe to our podcast, post comments and reviews, and consider sending us a question, which we might answer in a future episode of Office Hours. For more, go to DontRetireGraduate.com. To learn more about BFG Financial Advisors, visit us on social media. We're at BFGFA.com. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward... Let us begin visualizing our dreams and building our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at don'tretiregraduate.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present 
If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.